Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Those that have been here on a Friday evening will know of the last twice when I've shared from the Word of God. I've been coming to that chapter, Philippians chapter 2, as we've been considering something about the name of Jesus. And uh, I said at the beginning of the first one that as I put my jottings down first of all then to translate them into what I wanted to bring, it was difficult to know what to bring, what to share and how many times I would be returning to this subject. Well, this is the third time and I trust anyway, not because there's no more to say, but this will be the third and the final look at this subject for the moment because there is so much more which I will perhaps look at again in the future. And so we've looked at Philippians 2 and those verses and the subject being the name of Jesus and I linked in the first study the fact that it also fits in with where I was or we were in the look at the book of Acts and so we'll turn again now linking it to Philippians to Acts chapter 3 and I'll read the first 10 verses. Acts chapter 3 1-10 Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognised him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. It's an amazing story and if time would have allowed tonight it would have been good to have just continued to read on through chapter 3 and into chapter 4 at least to the end of verses 31 to find the whole spectrum of what is involved in this account of what happened at the beautiful gate of the temple. But we'll touch on some of the verses as we go through. But I guess it would be fair to say that this narrative that I've just read in those verses themselves, we would probably say we all know reasonably well. 
Peter and John were now filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the chapter that follows on from what we read about the day of Pentecost. And they were on their way up to the temple uh, to prayer when they came across this man who was lame. And note that it says that he had been lame from birth and he had been laid daily at the gate of the temple. We don't know how old he was, but he was a man old enough to be left on his own. I was going to make a joke here, but I shouldn't. I say he, he was lame, he wasn't going to get anywhere, was he? But I've said it now. But we, we don't know how old he was, but he was left at the gate of the temple. And daily. And as I began to think about this, if this was the case, that he'd been left at the gate of the temple, how come he hadn't been healed before? Because we know that Jesus had been to the temple many times. Now I can't answer that one, except for suggesting that in God's providence, his healing was already decided upon by God himself to happen on this particular day in Acts chapter 3. In other words, I want to say this evening, I believe in the perfection of God's timing. Another question. Had this lame man heard about what had happened a few days or weeks earlier, however long it had been, in the city on the day of Pentecost? And that already in the time between what happened on the day of Pentecost and this account, that people were already recognising who Peter and John were as disciples or apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, I don't know. But it is possible on this day that the lame man recognised them because others had pointed them out to him on previous occasions and he would at least attempt on this occasion to try to get some money out of them or whatever or however we wish to speculate on the background to this story I believe that God had marked this day to be a special day for the lame man and I say that because as I've said I believe in the sovereignty of God. Nothing happens by chance or as a result of fate where God is concerned. And so, as verse 3 says, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. I wonder what it was that he'd hoped to get from them. Well, whatever it was, he was about to get far more than he bargained for because Peter said to him, look at us. Now, was this a simple request for the man to see that of themselves they had nothing to offer? Was it for them to look at them and to say, do we look like we have any money on us? 
And so we find that the man fixed his attention upon them, Peter and John, probably wondering to himself, what now? And then Peter says to him, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. See, Peter's pockets were empty, but his life was full of the power of the Holy Spirit. And as a result, he was able to speak with authority so that in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, this man, who had never ever walked before, would be healed. And we read on that Peter reached out and took his hand and instantaneously something worth far more than money transferred between them. It was in the power of God that was released in the name of Jesus. And verses 7 to 8 says that immediately his feet and ankles were made strong and leaping up he stood and he began to walk. What a miracle. What a powerful demonstration of the power of God and the power in the name of Jesus. And there are two things we notice. The first place he went into was the temple. And the first thing he did was to praise God. Isn't that wonderful? He could have just run off. He could have ran home to his family. You don't have to carry me anymore. Look, I'm healed. But no, he went into the temple and he knew that the praise needed to go to God. Surely, this story should help us to understand when we think of Philippians chapter 2, that Jesus has been given a name which is above every name, the name that every knee will bow to and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, that in this name there is power in the name of Jesus. We will remember that back in time and prior to his ascension, just as Jesus was about to leave his disciples, he said to them in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And Mark in his gospel, chapter 16, 7 to 18, puts it this way. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. This is Jesus saying, in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will 
recover. Jesus has stated it very clear that there is power in his name and the disciples had authority to use his name so that signs and wonders may be done. Now I know that uh, history tells us there are those that have abused that verse or those verses from Mark 16 and just to show that there's power in the name of Jesus they've acted in such stupid ways and they deliberately caught hold of snakes that have bitten them they've deliberately taken poison and drunk it and they've not survived and the reason being is that they have blasphemed the name of Jesus in doing these things they've tried to use the name of Jesus as if it's some form of magic but when Jesus talks about go therefore and in my name I believe that it means in his name as we're exercising authority in his name as we're working in his name it's when these things happen out of our control there is power in the name of Jesus to protect us and to deliver and Jesus had also told the disciples that they were to wait in Jerusalem until they'd been endued with power from on high. And we've learned that already as we've looked at Acts chapter 2. And the power they would receive on the day of Pentecost, we often think of the power of the Holy Spirit as to give us the ability to speak in tongues and things in that sort of area. But we need to understand that the power they would receive and the power which we receive when we're filled with the Holy Spirit also gives to us authority to exercise power in and through the name of Jesus. And here in this account in Acts chapter 3, this is exactly what Peter and John were doing. And as I read this chapter, and the chapter after and as I've been going through the back book of Acts and as I've been pondering the things of what I'm sharing at this time going through this study I have to ask myself this question and we need to ask the question together where is the evidence of this power amongst us today see there are those today who deny that miracles can take place today they would say that they were just special signs in the early life of the church. But once established and the canon of scripture had been completed, they are no longer relevant. So they do not see or they do not even expect to see the evidences of or the outworking of the power that is contained in the name of Jesus through signs and through wonders. And then there are those who readily accept that this power and the evidence of the power in and through the name of Jesus is for the whole of the church age. Therefore, we should expect to see the evidence today. And if we are in this group, which I am, I trust we all are, that God's power is still available through the name of Jesus, then we need to ask ourselves again, why are we not seeing it as we should be seeing it? Doesn't it not bring a challenge to our hearts? That when we pray for the sick that they're not being healed? Then when we're not seeing lives being transformed and delivered from the powers of darkness like we would like to see, then the fault doesn't lie with the power. It lies with us who are following Jesus today. But back to this account in Acts. 
we see that there is both power and there is authority in the name of Jesus. This one whom God has exalted and to whom he has given a name which is above every other name. And this power and this authority cannot and never will be found in any other name. For any other form of power or authority is limited in its reach and in its scope. And so when we come to the name of Jesus, we need to remind ourselves that his name has the power to save us. And thank God it has saved us, each one that has found here this evening. His name has the power to deliver. His name has the power to heal. His name has the power to transform. His name has the power to keep. The same power that defeated Satan, that has defeated sin, and that has defeated the grave has not been bottled up. It has not been preserved in a container, nor it's not been banked in a vault. It has not been kept hidden away. It is still available and still to be found in and through the wonderful and the precious name of Jesus. I'm going to quote a hymn as I have been doing so. Jesus, the name high over all, in hell or earth or sky, angels and men before it fall, and devils fear and fly. Jesus, the name to sinners dear, the name to sinners given, it scatters all their guilty fear, it turns their hell to heaven. Jesus, the prisoner's fetters breaks and bruises Satan's head. Power into strength of souls he speaks and life into the dead. Oh, that the world might taste and see the riches of his grace. The arms of love that compass me would all mankind embrace. Isn't this name such a wonderful name? Yeah. Such a precious name? Oh, how I love the Saviour's name. But there's something important. If it's poison, the Lord's name is here. But there is something important that we should note in this account in Acts chapter 3. After Peter and John had proclaimed the name of Jesus, and the healing had taken place, this is so important, all the glory went to God. All the glory went to God. And although the man attached himself to Peter and John, it led to them having a golden opportunity to proclaim the news about Jesus. And verses 11 to 26 highlights the message they gave. But let's note verse 16. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. They made sure that nothing had happened because of them as individuals. It was all because of Jesus. And as I thought of that again, 
Oh, that every genuine miracle or demonstration of the power of God would point men and women to Jesus, causing them to respond as Peter encouraged those around them to do in verse 19. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And maybe one of the reasons why we are not seeing the demonstration of God's power in the way that we need to today is because far too many ministries today are focused on what can I get from this? What can we gain from this? Rather than allowing all the glory to go to Jesus. And I think this is one of the biggest problems today with the big church mentality. We see it all around us. Build big. Get rich. Expand and be noticed. Let's get the glory for our kingdom. Look at us instead of look at Jesus. We need to allow the one who holds the name, which is the highest name, to be the centre of all we are and of all we do. It is his church. It is his kingdom. And it is his name alone that should be receiving all the glory, all the honour and all the praise. Now as we continue, we quickly discover that the ongoing outcome of this narrative was not what it should have been, but rather it led to the people getting annoyed. And they were getting annoyed because the disciples were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And as we read on, we will get to the reason behind that, which was causing the annoyance. And it's in Acts 4, 17 to 18. It says there, but in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them, that is the authorities, called Peter and John, and charged them. Imagine the cheek charging Peter and John not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Imagine that, an incredible healing had taken place. And yet the authorities were forbidding the disciples to speak any more in the name of Jesus. If only they themselves had realised how significant, insignificant their own authority was when compared to the authority that was found in the name of Jesus. Peter and John replied to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot, and I like that, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. In other words, Peter and John said to the authorities, who on earth do you think you are? You are insignificant to us in comparison to Almighty God. You cannot silence us. You will not silence us because we have seen enough to convince us concerning his 
name. So let's go back into the verses that led up to them being forbidden to speak in the name of Jesus. What had Peter and John said? But a question had been given to them in verse 7, by what power or by what name did you do this? That is, how did this miracle happen? How did it come about? And Peter replied in verses 8 to 12, but I will take it up firstly from verse 10. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel, but by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucify, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. And then in verse 12 he says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter is telling them, think what you like, believe what you like, but let me make it clear that his name, the name of Jesus through which this healing has come about, is the only name that counts and matters in regards to salvation. Can I suggest, because of what follows in verse 13, that the power that is invested in the name of Jesus also imparts to us as believers the power to be bold for him. For it says there, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And I love this line. And they recognised that they had been with Jesus. What a transformation in Peter. The last time it was detected that he had been with Jesus, he denied it three times. But now he boldly declares and defends the name of Jesus. And I suggest this this evening, Lord, give us, Lord, give me that kind of boldness. Not only to speak out in the name of Jesus, but to also defend the name of Jesus. Especially today, when who we are and what we are as followers of Jesus is being ridiculed. And what we believe our opponents are seeking to destroy. See, what had happened to Peter was that the name of Jesus... And the holder of that name, Jesus himself, had so gotten hold of Peter that he could not but help himself and speak at every opportunity for his Saviour and Lord. In other words, as far as Peter was concerned, Jesus only was his message. Don't we all need to allow Jesus to get hold of us in such a way as well? to get hold of us so that we just want to speak about him and to defend him because he's such a wonderful saviour. I want to enlarge it a little further. I know time is eight o'clock, but I need to finish it tonight. I want to enlarge it a little further on Jesus himself. For originally, as you know, my focus was Jesus in the book of Acts. 
And alongside this narrative of Acts 3, 1 to 10, as we move on into the book of Acts in the following chapters, we find that Peter mentions three other important details. It's found in verses 12 to 15. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy One and the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. There are three things we see here concerning Jesus. He was known as God's servant. It's found also in verse 26. God having raised up his servant. He's known as God's servant. And this is what it says in Isaiah 52, 13, in a section that begins to reveal Jesus as the suffering servant, it says there, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. Talking of Jesus when he came to the earth. But listen to what it says in the rest of that verse. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. Isn't that a picture of Philippians chapter 2? Jesus had acted wisely. He's high and he's lifted up and he's exalted and given the name which is above every other name. And previously in speaking through the prophet Isaiah, God had declared, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nation. So Jesus was God's servant. And then secondly, he is the holy and righteous one. We find that in those verses as well. And a few sentences later, Jesus is called more than a servant. He's called the holy servant. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, while you stretched out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And then the righteous one is used a number of times to describe Jesus in Acts 7.52, Acts 22.14, 1 Peter 3.18 and 1 John 2.1, which I will quote just this one here. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So the one who has a name that is above every other name is the righteous one. And the good news is that while we can use his name here on earth and declare authority and power in the name of Jesus, at the same time, he's our advocate with the Father. Isn't that wonderful? He's interceding in the presence of God on your behalf and on my behalf. And then in these verses, Peter also refers to Jesus 
as the author of life. And Acts 3.15 is the only time in the Holy Scripture where this phrase is used and different translations render it in this way. The author of life, the prince of life, the originator of life, or the source of life. Well, we could apply this to the fact that Jesus was there in the beginning as creator, when human life commenced. But I believe because Peter and John are discussing what Jesus has done in going to Calvary, I think the application here is to do with Jesus being the author or the originator of the new life we have received as we come to trust in him. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, new life, because the old has passed away and the new has come. Ephesians 2, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins, but God being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Note what Peter has said to those that were listening. You killed the author of life. It's almost as if he is loading his answer to them with powerful statements. I think, as I look at it, it's as if he's almost mocking them. He's saying to them, you tried to do the impossible. Remember, only God can do the impossible. They should have known what the ancient scriptures said, that no plan of God can be thwarted. No matter what human power or energy they, they had at their disposal, they were losers. For what they had tried to do, they tried to kill the one who himself is life. You had lost the battle even before you started. For how can the one who is life himself remain dead? It is an impossibility, proven by the fact that God raised him from the dead. And what is more, said Peter, to this we are witnesses. Therefore, try as hard as you like, you ain't going to stop us. Well, as I said at the beginning, it was difficult to know how to assemble the jottings I first put together on this magnificent subject concerning the name of Jesus. It's been an impossible task to know where to end because really I've only dipped our toes in the water, so to speak. But I trust over these three studies, what I shared will give us the desire to hold his name in the highest honour. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's protection in the name of Jesus. And therefore we praise the name of Jesus. There is a name I love to hear. I love to speak its worth. It sounds like music in my ear. The sweetest name on earth. It tells me of a Saviour's love who died to set me free. It tells me of his precious blood, the sinner's perfect plea. It tells of one whose loving heart can feel my deepest woe, who in my sorrow bears a part. 
that none can bear below. It bids my trembling heart rejoice. It dries each rising tear. It tells me in a still small voice to trust and never fear. Jesus, the name I love so well, the name I love to hear. No saint on earth its worth can tell. And I'm struggling to tell the worth of its name because it's such a wonderful name. No heart conceive how dear. This name shall shed its fragrance still along this thorny road shall sweetly smooth the rugged hill that leads me up to God. And there with all the blood brought throng from sin and sorrow free, I'll sing the new eternal song of Jesus' love for me. Oh, how I love the Saviour's name. Oh, how I love the Saviour's name. Oh, how I love the Saviour's name. The sweetest name on earth. What a name. What a Saviour. Let's give him all the glory all the honour and all the praise because that is what is due to his wonderful name. Amen.